0: to the next Bear Prats. And today, we're looking at some old friends.
1: From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who. The Ninth Doctor Adventures, Old Friends. Welcome Welcome to my funeral. Sarah Jane always knew you'd go distinguished. Oh, what's that, Harry? Explain the USP.
0: Our premium service allows for the most personal farewell between the deceased and their loved ones that science can presently provide. For a few hours, we can restore their mind and body to the very peak of health. But what for?
2: So the dead can return and attend their own
1: funerals. Oi! What's wrong? I thought we were going at the
3: same time! It would have looked amazing!
1: Remember, killer on the loose.
3: Yep, got that. Thanks.
1: And try not to worry, but this is gonna hurt.
3: What, me? No, me!
1: Say your name and rank. Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. Hello! You open?
2: I only just got here,
1: mate. Okay,
2: whatever. Uh, one Americano, one hazelnut latte, as soon as you can.
1: You what? You know about Green Man? <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. You love it. Every single moment, I can tell. Yes, well, it's time. It t- pays to keep the hand in. That's why I've been helping out, down at the base. What base is that?
3: Running log of the HMS Columba Experimental Sub, day 312.
1: At his son, the doctor's a sterling chap, and please, please call me Alistair. My shouting days are over. As you like, Alistair. I'm Sam Bishop, second lieutenant. What has this machinery about you, this fearsome engine? Big finish for the love of stories.
0: He saved so many of us, no matter how dangerous
1: it was. Wonderful work. Such a pity he's there. Such a pity he's there. Such a pity he's there. Such a pity he's
0: there. So, this was our first foray into the world of Christopher Eccleston and the Ninth Doctor. So, this was my choice, and I chose it because I'd heard it before, because I really liked Chris Eccleston in it, and because it had the Brigadier in it, and because it was set uh, close to home.
2: So, let's sort of go around, everyone, and see what they thought. So, I will start with Chris. I really enjoyed this. This was a lot of fun, and actually, and you know, what, I'm going to caveat a bit by saying it was a lot of fun, even though the subject matter was really grim a lot of the time. It was very somber a lot of the time, but but it's in a good way. Very philosophical, sort of made you really really think about things, life, humanity, the human condition, and people and what what drives them. You read so much more into it than I did. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I deep dived it. I actually, this is my third round of listening to it. I liked it that much. I went through three times. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So I've just finished up my third round of Fawn Farewell and I would describe it as a perfect prologue to the the first two-parter I've heard of a Doctor Who audio because traditionally so far as we've listened it's been three individual episodes featuring the Doctor and there's no real narrative that runs through except for this one that actually does. First one is very much a standalone, but it, its finale sets up the next two episodes, the next two episodes being a two-parter, which would have sat brilliantly on television. In listening to the audio, the way the sound is just spot on. The setting, as Stuart alluded to, is actually down at the fourth Bridge, which is up here in Scotland. And if anyone, almost every Scottish person has travelled this road so many times, by, be it road, train, or just going off to Deep Sea World. Everyone's seen it, everyone knows it's what it looks like and it's burned into my mind. So the setting was perfect. Never realised how much the outer islands of that area are actually the visitable things, or places, sorry, which actually having listened to this a couple of times, I want to go for a little holiday to these little islands.
0: Yeah, we've said for the last few years we were going to go and visit Inchcombe, which is where a lot of the action for this happens, because you can take a little boat trip out. But we haven't, we haven't done it yet. Now I have to be aware
2: of Cybermen and all sorts of stuff. Exactly, because they're just, they're just bloody everywhere. Just can't get <laughs> rid of them. Another crashed Cyberman. Another one. Every, they, do they? Are they ever? They're just not very good pilots. I think that's very unfair that you're picking on the fact that they're maybe short sighted because they don't have proper eyes. I mean, I mean, their, their their heads probably turn too slowly for them to see the corner, like round corners, and yeah. And if it's an if it's one of the kind of older ones, one of the sort of tenth planet, maybe the big light on the top of their head is dazzling them. I mean, I think you you know you may be looking too harshly. I am looking. I am looking too harshly. I am. I know. I am. I'm just being a bit of a, a negative nelly. But that's it. That's it's complete by the by, It actually gave us probably a really good original crashed Cyberman story in that. It was the Crash Mondasian Cyberman and how they dug up, I'm going to use that one, they dug up the old bodies of the, the men and boys who built the fourth bridge.
3: Exhumed.
2: There you go, exhumed, exhumed. the body. I'll put a bit of a rumble on the back of that little exhumed. The bodies of these men and boys. Did they exhume
1: them or did they just collect them because they fell off the bridge while they were working on it? Was that actually... <laughs> I try mentioned. a bit of
2: gravitas in there, Doug. Try a bit of gravitas. I just got this image
0: now of like a Cyberman under the bridge with a big net waiting for yeah. him to try to catch them
2: as he went. The thing that you do in primary school with the big kind of sheet, the big, big parachute just launching some up in the air and just dropping down a bit, they're a corpse. Anyway, that that, that being aside. <laughs> you went to a very strange primary school. Anyway, for, yeah, so where was I going with I'm going to quickly round up and say it was a really good original sort of way of presenting the Cyberman, Cybermen, sorry. And yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Would recommend this one to anyone listening to who audios for the first time because I think it's very engaging and also at the same time gives reverence to classic stuff, Eccleston and the Brig. And I will say, like, from the first seconds of Christopher Eccleston speaking, as if no time had passed, he'd been the show all his days, he was spot on from the get go. The tone of his series was perfect in this episode.
0: I do think that, having listened to them all, I do think that he really grew back into the part. I think the first one to me didn't sound quite as Doctorish, but by the time he got to about the third one in the set, he just yeah, I totally agree. He sounded like he'd never. I mean, I'm meaning that the box set story rather than the stories in this one. So oh, okay,
2: yeah. In the very this...
0: first box set, I thought he sounded a little different, and then he got
2: better and better, and then by by certainly by the time
0: we got to this box set, I think he was absolutely spot
2: on. Where does this sit in the timeline of how many he's done? Just third or fourth?
0: This would be, I think, it's the third or fourth box set in the first series. And we're now on series three that he's done. He's now done way, way more episodes on audio than he ever did did on TV. Which, to be fair, I think is the same now with every single Big Finish Doctor that they've all done. I mean, it's not difficult when you're Paul McGann, but it is a bit more difficult when you're Tom Baker. But I think he's now done more audio wow and i know that joe also has listened to this a number of times
3: i have i have to say i don't know what it was i just found it very easy to listen to and i'm not the greatest chris eccleston fan which is a no terrible awful thing to say he's you know he's good but i didn't necessarily miss him when he moved on and this really felt like just an excellent addition and i'm glad there are more and i will be listening to more i found it the story was engaging it was easy to follow the sound for me was excellent again as a musician sometimes you like just kind of pick up things that set your teeth on edge and there was just absolutely none of it didn't get confused about who anyone was for a change because for me that <laughs> seems to be a thing it's like who on earth said that everything was it was a lovely uh, well A lovely yet gloomy and dark story arc. I don't know. I just find it incredibly easy and enjoyable to listen to. So I did listen to it several times. And yet, maybe the fact that it was a little bit closer to home, maybe that was adding to it. And similarly, I the 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 visions. Maybe we should do a Spare Prats weekend out to these islands. Let's
2: do it.
3: Any Cybermen?
2: Prats on tour. Prats on tour.
3: On tour. I like it. Only,
2: only if Chris cosplays. As the Cyberman. Done. I'll get a sock <laughs> on my head,
0: no problem. Get the tin foil out, Chris.
3: I'm, I'm I all for it. this. Loved it. Really good. And I do, the Brigadier wasn't, I wasn't massively familiar with him, really not being an old who person, but having become more familiar in the new who, mostly with him not being there and, and having an awesome daughter, but I have enjoyed him on the big finishes that I have heard with him, and this was no different, really. I enjoyed the the character, and I I don't know. Loved it. That's all I got to say.
0: So now, now we're on to to the the difficult one to impress on this because it's new Who and Doug is not as as much of a new Who fan as old Who. Although I think there
2: is plenty of crossovers. I think I think your surprises, Doug. I think your surprises. So what are
1: your bets then? Oh, I just feel a bit left out here because everybody seems to have listened to it more than I have this time. It's usually, the other way
0: around. That's really unusual. Doug usually is the one who's listened to it several oh, times. Man.
1: And I haven't taken any notes this time.
0: Well, that's maybe why we're all thinking
1: that maybe, you know, it's not it's not quite for you as much. But... Oh, is that right? Okay. So so what your question there was about uh, my liking of modern Who knew Who with it and Christopher Eccleston in particular.
0: Yeah. Uh, just. I think it's safe to say you are not as impressed with New Who as possibly the rest of us are.
3: I would
1: say I've just got higher standards. Oh,
3: I would say for for me that that's pretty fair, Doug, really. <laughs> I'm reasonably easy to please when it comes <laughs> to my fandom. I just enjoy it. I appreciate everybody's hard work. Thank you, everyone. I am the Hufflepuff of this group.
1: So, New Who? Yes, I watched Crystal Beck. I enjoyed his first episode, which is a retelling of the first John Perley story in a way. Yeah. First story by a doctor, Auton's new companion, etc. Yeah, I enjoy I I, And unlike the rest of you, I've not watched them multiple times. I've watched them as broadcast, and I watched some of them occasionally. I think I watched the first season on DVD when I got it many years ago, and I watched them all again last year in off iPlayer.
0: To be fair, I've only ever watched the Chris Eccleston series twice all the way through, I think.
1: Oh, okay. It's the same as me in that case. I've actually seen it three times, uh, I think now, but seven years apart each time, something like that. Um, no, I, I enjoyed his. Well, I mean, I, I, like all of the new Who, it depends on the writer and the story. Some are better than others. And that's true of Old Who as well. It's not a new Old Who difference, really. It's just completely random. But no, I enjoyed uh, most of his stories. And of these two stories over the three discs, I guess I prefer the second two, which have got Brigadier in. And the first one felt a bit more like just an excuse to have the link between the stories, really, because he was visiting a friend. But he only met for a week, spent time with for a week, rescued and uh, kept alive, and then went to his funeral, which is a bit of a, an odd thing as one that I talked a bit more detail. But there was a sort of throwaway remark about visiting another old friend, which obviously is, as you've already said, the brigadier now. Brigadier growing up with from the part of year, not quite his first stories. And the the thing the first thing I'll say about this this audio was I wasn't sure if this was Christopher Eccleston or if it was one of the, because I think somebody else has done all of the new Doctors more recently, haven't they? Is that right? Including Christopher Eccleston. I think it was Nick Briggs that played Eccleston
0: in the the, the Chronicles, but this was 100% Chris Eccleston.
1: Yeah, so I, I did not look at the credits or the cover or anything before I just listened to the, the stories. So I went into it and I wasn't even thinking about the Brigadier until about halfway through. I thought, me, that's just so spot on. I haven't even thought it's not Nick Courtney doing it. Which obviously it couldn't be given the, the date it was recorded. And it was then I was thinking, well, is this the one that's not actually Eccleston in it or is it actually him? Cause he was spot on as well, obviously, cause it was him. So yeah, that, that, it was excellent. And it's also a bit of a, I don't know what you call them prequel to one of the cart as it comes back in the unit stories. And well, I guess it's about 20 years in real who universe time after the story set. This is set round about millennium. Still, Brigadier still using a tape recorder rather than a digital recorder, and they say, "Well, I think the doctor says it's late nineties, early two thousands, doesn't he? Somewhere when he first gets there." So that's the closest you get to any time in the in the story.
0: I would imagine it was like early two thousands, but yes, yeah. and the the unit stuff is set slightly further. It's sort of set, I think, mid sort of twenty ten. So it's maybe about ten,
1: twelve years out from
2: the mm. unit says. Makes, the doctor makes that little quick uh, little quip about about the cloud and uh, not being a thing yet.
1: yeah yeah well, there's a few things uh, that sort of tie it back in time and, and what they use but uh, yeah that, that's that's one so yeah so yeah I actually enjoyed two thirds of it and fairly enjoyed the first third of it really it just felt a bit more well it was a love story of women who wanted to excise the bit of her husband's life that she didn't want to believe actually happened I'll cover that in more detail later on possibly.
0: We all know Doug doesn't like the love stories in Doctor Who. We know this from past experience. I I kind of agree with you, Doug. I think it felt. I think it was all enjoyable, but it very much felt to me like two halves or a third, and and I got much more out of the Cyberman story than the other one. Nothing wrong with the other one, but it wasn't to the quality. I it's not right. It just didn't really feel as. Maybe it was a nostalgia part of it with having the Brigadier in it. It was maybe the fact that it had Sam in it and I'm a big fan of the unit things. I really like his character and that. So I think that would have helped, you know, so there was a lot that maybe guided me towards enjoying
2: the second part more than the first.
1: Yeah, as you say, it's got more characters that you know, whereas well, the other story it was all, apart from the Doctor, it was all brand new characters.
2: The thing is because since the, t- the overall title is Old Friends and Nicholas Corney's picture is always on the cover, you expect the first one to have, you know, an old friend for the audience, someone you know, someone you're familiar with, and not just it be a standalone that leads to the actual main event, which is your two-part cyber story.
1: Yeah. When you say that, by accidentally started playing the wrong tracks. <laughs> the first story was <laughs> to bring it the first time I went to listen.
0: You're right. You wonder whether they could have chosen someone that was in the story that we knew They could have referenced back to a story that we knew. Yeah. that An Eccleson story that we we knew or you know, maybe even not an Eccleston story because there's nothing to say that the Doctor hasn't changed. They could have added that in.
2: Or just a companion of some sort.
0: From some point, yeah. I mean, that, that feels like that might have fitted quite nicely in.
2: But it was all it was all uh, enjoyable. Well, that's the thing. I mean, for, for me, again, always coming to these things with bright eyes and just like, ooh, this is a, big, a shiny new Doctor Who toy to play with and see what I think about it. I just really enjoyed with the story. I thought it was going to go one way, it went completely somewhere else. Along a similar direction as I thought it would go in, but ultimately just it's one of these stories that I think the 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 moral, the theme, the the meaning behind it is something that I find very interesting because I do like the human piece around these sort of stories and that selective memories on those who are passed and how to how some people just choose choose to retroactively change their memories of someone and how they impacted their lives. It's I find that fascinating. I always I liken it to again. This is a bit of a hard left here. I liken the sort of themes around it similar to Heather's in a way. Don't know if anyone knows what I'm where I'm going with that.
0: I'm assuming you're meaning the movie or the absolutely
2: uh, not the musical. I've not seen the musical, <laughs> but I that's that's, a, that's another conversation to have. Musicals should be musicals and films should be films. That's all I'm saying. Don't <laughs> touch my stuff. Just wait for to the musical, musical to come out and then you'll be different. Actually, no. I, okay. And on that one, on the, I want to hear the exterminate song because <laughs> it'll just be like just a big band exterminate. Bah, 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 exterminate. Wow, no,
0: what I want to hear is the song that they sang in Jubilee with Little Daleks doing the little like, song. <laughs> That's what yeah. I want to
2: hear done, put the music and done properly. I'm a Little Dalek, short and stout. Here's my sucker. Here's my blah, 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 blah. <laughs>
1: about Doctor Who The Ultimate Adventure that was a musical
2: was it? there were songs in it I never saw it didn't you? the way you said songs Doug it sounds like you, actually, you almost hear the parenthesis on there the songs
1: well they were rather cheesy
2: I, I never
0: saw it but I do actually own the poster from when it was at HMT yeah
1: well that's where I saw it with Pertley and
0: not only do I own the poster I own the poster that went out in the front but I also own the hand-painted posters that they used to do at the front of HMT there
1: you go. Collector's Editions.
0: And, and another note, I saw that the new uh, Doctor Who figure is due out uh, later on this month is uh, the Ultimate Adventure Colin Baker
1: figure. Well, that'd be a collectible then.
0: Talk about mining the depths when you start doing that. No, I thought I... Yeah, there was a lot to enjoy on this one. And it's lovely to see Christopher Eccleston back. I think we all kind of felt... I think we all felt we'd never see Christopher Eccleston back in the role after yeah. he left. He was the one you would say... You're never gonna. He's never gonna do
2: a big finish, or he's never gonna. Yeah, but even he said he said himself in the interviews he's done since he's doing done them like the lockdown. He's he is a, a working actor. He needs you know to do stuff. So people want him to do something like and his the script's good. Yeah, of course he's going to do it. But which is which is which is encouraging to hear because obviously it's well documented the fallout between him and the show. So it is nice to see him come back. And we may never, unlikely ever, see him on camera, which is you know totally fine. These things happen, but to get the audios as spot on to the show his tenure as, as they have been, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And, and we we know we've got more to come. We've obviously got another
0: few. I think we've got two more box sets in the in the current series of his. We also know he's doing one of the 60th episodes, the big finisher, doing with of all people David Warner. Bracket oh, full horn yeah. close brackets, which would be really exciting. So. Lots to to look forward to from him. And it is lovely to see him back in the role. I'd love to see Billy Piper come and do a series with him, which they haven't done yet.
2: I don't know if maybe they feel that's just too close. I quite like the idea of this being it's separate from his tenure because this feels like when he comes into the show, it's like what already seeing his last season. So having all this is just fresh and exciting. And we ultimately always know where it's going to go anyway. And it always felt like when Rose comes on to when he regenerates that it's self-contained. And everything else before that is just, it's, yeah, him finding his himself sort of thing.
0: It is interesting what you say there, because about knowing where someone's going to because of where it falls in the timeline, because I kind of knew that something was going to happen to Sam Bishop's girlfriend, spoilers, because I know that she's not mentioned in the unit box set, so either they were going to split up, but it kind of didn't lead towards you thinking that was going to happen. So, but no, yeah, the funeral one, let's go back to that then. Fun farewells was interesting. It wasn't a kind of out and out action one, I suppose, in the way that maybe the other two stories in the set kind of were. They felt a bit more hands on, but it was quite thought provoking. Could have done with stronger side characters. Nobody, for me, really kind of jumped out and, and you know was someone you'd want to see more of.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. I think this it's out, out of the th- two of them, two to three of of what not. It felt like the Doctor said it was the, the story that drove it. And it was the intrigue of where the story's going, what's the resolution, because it did feel a classic sort of backroom conspiracy mystery. You know, your your lead subject's dead but is brought back not as they were. Spoilers. And yeah, you just want to see how this is going to so who done it? Is it going to be a Is it for money? Is it for a a cover-up? I mean, what's the reason? And as we come to find out at the end, it was, I dare say, can you say it was for love? Because... I
0: think it was. I think, I mean, it was kind of slightly twisted in its own way. Yeah. Or
2: not twisted, even that's a bit unfair. It was someone who... It's a very human thing to do. Yeah. I find. It's just, it's, there's no hero. There's no getting, no one got off lightly in this one, in terms of Oh, you're the yeah. Everything's wrapped up nicely. Everyone can go home happy. No, it's still the effects, the ramifications of of the yeah, changing someone after they're dead. They
0: kind of made the point as well, which I thought was quite interesting. That the it was a hundred percent for love because she she basically blew all her money on that afternoon with them. It was like every penny she had. So it wasn't like they were super rich, and this was just a small portion.
2: Yes, but even in doing so. It wasn't just to spend, I suppose it's to spend time with the man she thought she knew or she wanted to know and not the real man he was, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's tough. It's a real tough lesson when you think of it from that angle. But again, it's again, very human sort of shades of gray. I mean, the, the whole thing is just wonderfully gray and it's a good case study of it, people <laughs> and how people deal with grief. And trauma, and ultimately being cheated on, rejected, and
3: flawed. Yes, flawed. flawed people, humanly, <laughs> so thank
2: <laughs> <laughs> Where I thought this was going to go in terms of the story. So everyone's turned for the funeral. The the chap Flynn, who has died, comes back into an android body, and it is the thing called Fun Farewell that gives uh, loved ones a chance to once once they died to have their brain uploaded to a big old computer and then put into a, a positronic body, and they get to have half a day with the deeply departed. And in all classic Doctor Who, something goes horribly wrong with the computer. And you kind of thinking, it's like, okay, bodies start dropping because the hosts, the other mechanical people start killing folk, and something goes a bit wrong, and everyone's going, like, I'm still here, I'm still here, in various different voices. So I kind of thought it was going to go down as no one's really dead sort of vibe. So it's like everyone, everyone's they say, the computer is wiped of these people, and then they upload the next one. But part of someone stays alive in the mainframe. It's very much matrixy sort of thing. And I thought it was going to be quite cool down that route, but it didn't. It did feel quite creepy that I'm still here, especially because you knew that there was more to it. Yeah, but you know, didn't know what was the thing that was going to be... Again, when it comes out It that it's Flynn himself, it, the, the memories that were wiped from his, brain, his altered brain when he was put onto the computer... You knew that you just got various different voices of people saying, I'm still here. Like, oh, this is spooky, genuinely creepy.
1: Yeah, very I thought it was going to be a bunch of all the people that had passed precisely. through the facility, if you want to call it that.
2: Yeah, precisely. That's what I was going to, that's, that's a, a fascinating thing. It's like, oh, that's kind of, that's very Doctor Who to do. And I kind of found, when I was listening to it, I can't remember who wrote this one, Stuart, you'll tell us, I'm sure. But if I got a lot of, sort of Pratchett, Gaiman, sort of gothic writing vibes from this one, which I very much enjoyed. I mean, the fact that the 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 curator of this mortuary is Winifred W.W. And was like, that's that's very proud. That's very gaming.
1: Written by David K.
2: Barnes.
3: Okay. An area hornblower in sight. No. There's a kind of director of Shameless. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Quite disappointing on the, the old hornblower front, I have to say. But never mind. It's okay. Can't win them all.
0: Yeah, horn them all. He is an interesting cast point then so martin quinn who played cameron in this was the lead in ur when he came to hmt but
1: a career high
0: well he's also the person who is currently playing
2: scotty in strange new world no so he's done all right for himself hey not bad this upgrade, not great from unit to starfleet
0: yeah, from exactly. Oh, it Starfleet in three years isn't a bad trajectory.
2: Good, St- I, I would say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice, nice. I really like Strange New Worlds. I really do like Strange New Worlds. Just putting it out there.
0: I I only know this because I was watching the episode of Strange New Worlds with a minute, and we were trying to say, "Oh, that's not a bad Scottish accent." Is he actually Scottish? And then we looked him up, and it was only just when I looked at the cast list there that I realised, recognised it was the same person. Uh, and only so many Scottish actors, <laughs> obviously, is the problem. So I suppose then for, for all of us, it felt like the second box, the second set story worked uh, really well, possibly because it sort of hit the nostalgia thing. I, I would say I slightly chose this one because I thought out of all of them, it's the one Doug was most likely to like, because I know you enjoy John Cullshaw's Brigadier.
1: He is just so good. It's just, I mean, as I said, you know, I didn't even give it a thought. It was the Brigadier.
0: Yeah, and I, you I know, know you've listened to some of the units as well, so I thought you probably knew Sam Bishop as well, so I thought that there was a few...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've listened to three of the sets now, I think it is. So I think he's in all of them, isn't he? Well, I don't know if he goes on yes. all the way through, but he's certainly in those first three. So, so yeah, I recognised him, and I mean, he... He manages to make a few mistakes with the Brigadier here, but he still gets a job the unit, so he obviously does a good job in the Brigadier's eyes. So I'm sure he got some recommendation there. I don't I have an said. interview
2: process. Cyberman yeah.
0: attack. I mean, it's also written by Roy Gill, who I think is probably one of the best writers at the moment in Big Finish. Every time you see his name, it's always interesting and different. And it's kind of, you've got a few John Dorney, and you've got Roy Gill, and you've got oh, the other one whose name I can't remember, but... There's a few really good writers, and you see the name, and you go, oh, they're going to be interesting. And I think Roy Gill's kind of the latest of those. Mm. I thought there were some lovely one-liners in it. I very much enjoyed Lots of Planets Have a Scotland. The
1: tricky part is keeping hold of it. Well, that ties back to north, the North and his, his Debbie episode on the telly, doesn't it? Yeah. Lots of planets are north.
3: Yeah.
0: I, th- I think it was a line, though, the, the, trickiest, the trickiest part is keeping hold of it.
3: I liked that.
1: Cyberman's chess unit is described as an accordion.
0: That's right, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed as well, as someone who has spent time in Edinburgh often over the fringe and such like, I enjoyed the references to the TARDIS being a coffee shop. Yes.
2: Oh my god, yes.
1: Except that the TARDIS is in Edinburgh look nothing like the Doctor's TARDIS, They're like double wits yeah. Glasgow. Yeah, you know, if they mentioned Glasgow, that would have been spot on. But- I guess he's he's only been staying with his other half in Edinburgh so he's never been to Glasgow don't play them,
0: him what else did I have down there was a nice mention of a, cr- a crinoid.
1: there was the body man mm-hmm the scared child running away from it
3: yep like that geological term I've had to draw plenty of them when I was at uni I won't show you those <laughs> that's okay and
1: Aberdeen was mentioned in it as well oh yes the uh, engineer the sonic engineer or whatever he was was from Aberdeen University Scotty
0: as I think we now know he possibly is. <laughs> Which makes sense, because in Star Trek, Scotty is from Aberdeen.
2: I, I, I actually looked up quite a few of the, the references and stuff, and it is all somewhat spot on. There is a man who walks a route and some get in a suit. It's just like, this, like oh my God, you're going to be sweltering all day long in this thing. Good Lord. And it is horrifying. This thing looks horrifying. It's like...
3: Kind it of pretty hor- horrifying, I have to say. Yeah.
2: It's it's something... It's something, it, it, it looks like... You know what? It's, if to akin to anything... It's, oh, what's the the Candyman in Doctor Who? The big Werther's or original. Bertie Bassett. That's the one. He is called the, the Candyman,
1: yeah. Well, he is the Candyman. He is called the Candyman, but he's, right. uh, he's, <laughs> he does resemble Bertie Bassett. In-
2: Imagine a costume of that calibre. Yeah, but all green and mossy and spouting a little cacti's where his the nipples bars. should be. Well,
1: it's thistles, it's thistle, isn't
2: it? Yeah, but it just looks crap. <laughs> it's, no, that's, re- that's really horrible, yeah, because people are going to probably listen to this. But, like, no, it's just, it just looks like fun and looks silly and is actually a real thing, which I think is amazing. It's a very yeah, well-researched episode.
1: I just assume well, most of the stuff in it was all fairly accurate. It sounded like somebody on the research.
2: I think that's what's quite nice as well about the end of setting it where on the 4th in Scotland is that it, for us, I guess as I said before, it's all easily referenced. We got certain points, certain places.
1: Have I mean, any of you actually been to
0: the island? No, I know, so, I've not been to the island, but we've looked into how to get there and,
1: and such like. Yeah. I've been down to underneath the well, one of the two bridges, but I've never spent any time there. So it was all an area that I vaguely knew the detail of, but didn't know actually where things were.
3: Um, I've just spotted that perhaps there's slightly more hornblower than I was giving credit for here, Stuart. Are you ready? Bear with, because they are, they're, tenu- well, they're tenuous, but there's a lot of them. So Warren Brown who I thought, I have to say, being quite ageist, probably too young for a, a direct hornblower hit. Actually, no. He was in Life on Mars, uncredited, so he must <laughs> have been quite young, which, of course, has the amazing man that I've completely forgotten the name of, which is just marvellous. So, anyway.
2: The unnamed man. Oh,
3: Gene Hunt. Gene Hunt. I've forgotten his name. Phil. Bill Glenister, how I don't know why that popped out in my head. I'm just blaming this study in right now. So he had Bill Glenister, Life on Mars, directed. He was also in Shameless, and there are two there are two hornblowers on Shameless. I didn't want to start mentioning all the Holbeys, because I think that's just it. It become begins to be a bit of a cop out because pretty much everyone's been on Holby. So I, I think those were those were the two. But um so there was some Hornflow after all. It wasn't so bad.
2: Not so barren.
3: Not so not so bad and after all. But yeah, there was no real big direct hits of, damn, that's exciting. It was just more, well, okay, you were in this thing. So maybe not quite as exciting. So especially for four, uh, not four, three, three three episodes, if you will, I would have thought there would have been a bit more. Well,
2: that's one of the things I was going to say there is like the cast, the cast list for these episodes isn't actually all that big, which I think works really well in that you're staying with, it's well, a classic Doctor Who thing where like vote group off. And you just spend a bit more time You could do a bit more character development to spend a bit more time with them. And yes, it's really nice to see anything with the Brig and the Doctor in the same scene was just always going to be a hit. And it is so nice to hear decades of familiarity between the two as if no time has been lost. It's that great thing when you meet a friend you haven't seen for two, three years, you're straight back into your repertoire again and again. I think it's, there's
1: even... A bit of a different repertoire, though. The older Brigadier and the older Doctor. I mean, I mean, there there's a couple of times there was hints of, well, presumably the time war before, before this, these stories. I think it was mentioned, well, it was hint, well there, was, there was a comment made by the Doctor in both episodes that hinted at some darker past. The Brigadier was asking him if something had happened, I think. And the funny one is he, he, he just assumed that the young lady, Fiona McCall, was the Doctor's new assistant. <laughs>
3: Yeah,
2: you alone. Which,
3: yeah, he's got uh, you know, really- yeah, previous, really, isn't
2: he? <laughs> <laughs> not as if it's a calling card. Oh, yes, a young young woman, Are you might uh, traveling with a doctor. If he's got a he's got a type, he, he knows this.
1: So you were talking about uh, Holby as uh, a common thing. So Eleanor, who played Fiona and I, Lola she's uh, not a Holby person, but famous for being in Casualty, EastEnders, and Doctors. Apparently, not that I've watched any of them.
0: And and is Irish rather than Scottish, which I was slightly surprised at because she I thought she did quite a good Scottish accent.
2: I think that's what happens is with some of these audio dramas is that when you cast accent against type, I think that's my slight problem with with Jamie when we did the the first and second Doctor one. I think it was the last one we did, uh, or one before that. It's, it just wasn't convincing. Or it's I've just actually gone back and rewatched quite a lot of the original series of Star Trek, and again quality of Scots in from James Doohan he just like oh, didn't he have that pair uh, that's probably better Scots than he could do
0: at no point does Scotty go aye aye i like
2: yeah he doesn't have the Doric twang
3: aye aye fairly ah uh. well that's the problem isn't it because like if they, if they did do it accurately it would be pretty much incomprehensible to anyone outside of the northeast. let's face it they
1: could anglify it a bit though couldn't they
2: but did anyone see the film Brave when it came out long ago there was what I remember reading an article. I oh, it's all set in Scots. All these, they're all Scots actors, and like, okay, fine, cool. And then, oh, but there's one character who no one can understand. No one knew who he was or what he's saying. And like, I understood oh, everyone yeah. perfectly. And they pointed <laughs> out to the character, like. Oh, that's, the, oh, yeah, that was Aberdonian. I just, I knew exactly what, what you're talking about. I
3: just thought, yeah, I thought it was hilarious. Because, yeah, i was watching it with the kids and, well, they under, they were understanding it as well. But it was a fact that it's just like, no one got it. it was not, no. I loved it because it just actually felt like they'd really been around here or somebody <laughs> had known enough to say, if we do this, yeah. a lot of Aberdonians are going to be quite happy Irish.
2: What did you, so here's a question. When I was listening to it and, once you see, at the end of the first episode, the first part, of the, the fourth generation, which I thought was a phenomenal title and use of the word. Brilliant. And did anyone picture them all in red? I mean, no, because they're on the cover. S- screw the cover. What, what's in your... Use, use your imagination, Stuart. Use your imagination. I expect... I don't have an no. imagination. No, that's what... I th- in my head, I just I just imagined really kind of big, rusty girders and like <laughs> of the fourth bridge, you know? So that That's was in a
3: good my head. Point. No, I didn't, but I could see why you did.
2: Again, that kind of added to what I loved about this being a, like a new take on a cyber story is that they're not the silver menace that they're de- usually depicted as or clunky refrigerators with a sock for a head. And it just, it just gave a really cool mental visual, which, yeah, totally here for.
0: I mean, I, I actually have written down here that I love the idea that it cyber Cybermen who named themselves the fourth generation and i have this image of the cyber leader sitting there with a little book of puns just working his way through them and going ah
2: that is perfect all the rest of these delete 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 i mean i enjoyed it but it did feel incredibly
0: out of character that it'd be sitting there you know, making <laughs> a little pun joke well he's not he's not part of the cyber. <laughs> well, they've been there a while haven't they was also a line in it which was humans aren't just spare parts and i thought oh, oh really? yeah just getting in there a bit of advertising for us how did this Compare because yeah, I think have we only done two Cybermen stories? No, even
2: three. Oh,
0: oh, no, you're right. We've done the Harvest as well, haven't we? Yeah. So how yeah. did this compare then for you guys with the Cybermen? Because I think if the first. No, I suppose spare parts would have had the sort of Mondasian Cybermen as well. So it's kind of similar in that respect. It obviously a more feels like a more modern story. I think you could you could see mm. this story on the screen.
2: Yeah. Actually, I to ask you if, before that, I'm gonna ask you a question first. They allude like so Cyber Cyber Chat pops out of the ocean at the end and the doctor alludes to meeting another lost Cyberman, Mondassian Cyberman, a bit more a bit more of a metalhead, he calls him. Is this an does this allude to Bunny's met previously? Is this a you know a callback to something else? Well, no, sure. Because I I'll say one slight down, but again, I'm going off on a tangent here, sorry. One slight down I'm gonna give this was I got really confused with the the go the voice in the mist the whole ghost element to it which again really enjoyed very cool and moody but I once they br- brushed past it I completely forgot that was even a thing until I went back to it again to realize oh yeah this didn't actually go anywhere I don't think it went anywhere I just didn't I just didn't get it I think it's like a bit that was there a great set piece well did they not say that there
0: was so, something to do with the vibrations?
2: Yeah, it was all yeah, it's all two sound vibrations and the, the voice in the wind, it was part was that part of the bridge imprint. But where did the mist come from? Did it tie into another I mean, side the it's other side? There is a lot of way. mist around. We do have a lot of mist.
0: That's why there's the phrase scotch mist. Yeah.
2: But still, in the in the context of the, the story, I got that the mist popped out as if by nowhere. That sort of big spooky mist. Very Dark Shadow vibes. I don't know why in my head I'm picturing Dark Shadow. I mean... Yeah, it just didn't seem to go anywhere really quickly and then was swept along into something else. Swept along. With a submarine.
0: Sorry, just to go back to your previous point about the metal head. I took that to be... Now, this is why it doesn't really fit in and I wonder if it was more of an in-joke. I took that to be in Dalek, the TV episode where he's in the museum and there's a head of a Cyberman.
2: See, I thought the, actually, to that point, the reference to the other head in the box that comes, that the boy from Eunice is picking goes, up. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was a reference to that. But at the same time, it can be, because that, in I, whatever canon of this episode, that happens after. If
0: I'm pretty sure that, and I'm going to sort of be reaching into the canon in inverted commas here, I'm pretty sure that in the Cybermen one, where we had the Cyber Brigadier, you know, the one with Missy, and the army of yes. Cybermen. I think, do they not say at that point that they have parts of Cybermen left over from the invasion? Yes. In the head in the box is part of that thing that's left over from the invasion.
2: Yeah, but when Eccleston had the line about referring to the head, he, I think he almost almost says exactly the same as the thing he said in that in Dalek. Of, well,
0: you know, it would kind of make sense, though, because they're the same vintage of Cybermen. They're the same.
2: Yeah. But then ultimately, like, this episode kind of canonically happens first and then the other one. So it didn't, the reference wouldn't work. Yeah, that's a
0: bit that doesn't make a lot of sense. But I wonder yeah. if it was just put in as a bit of an in-joke.
2: Yeah, which is always fun. Because
0: Easter eggs. I, 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 the only thing I could think of is that it kind of clicked into that. that...
2: But, to, but let's go back to the original point of you saying about where this ranks in, in our cyber journey. Yes. I think this one stands above the rest a little bit because it gave me something new and it's easy to visualize the location. I think the whole, the whole piece is just really well written, good pacing, excellent sound effects, genuinely like creepy voice vocals for, you know, what? again, names are really struggling with this one. The, the Mondasian Cyberman, we'll call him Cranch. I don't know. So that's someone else, but yeah, he, his voice was great. It was so oozing and malice and crackly. And just as he deteriorated throughout the second half, he could just really almost feel him dying, and there's that really great bit at the start of the second half episode where it's set in what the, when they're building the bridge, they're build, building the fourth bridge, where one of the architects is speaking, doing a little voiceover, writing a letter. The voice is almost very moist, and uh, you can yeah, like a decaying body would sound like this if it was speaking to you, and I really like that. Very mentally evocative of yeah. Bandages, big nasty cloak, and the big reveal of a monster. Oh, a ham horror!
0: I mean, it's one of those things. A bit like what we discussed in the last podcast. It's a little bit, you know. It's called old friends, so it doesn't give that much away. It, you know, it doesn't tell you that much. And then on the cover as a side man, so you know if it's not in the first story, you kind of know that that's happening in the second
2: story. Well, that was the thing as well, because again, to go back to pacing, I think that's what really works. I was waiting, I, without realizing, it was going to be a two-parter. I'm looking at it and okay, it's coming up to the 45-minute, 50-minute mark. Where the bloody hell is the Cyberman coming into it? they got to wrap this up really <laughs> bloody quickly. And then the be continues, like, oh, okay, this is a big one. <laughs> this is cool. Well, so- I haven't
1: looked at the picture, so I didn't realise it was a Cyberman story until they arrived. So That, that must have nice been surprise, better in me? some ways. Don't look at the pictures and spoil it.
2: Yeah, it makes
0: sense. Uh, it doesn't think, help you
1: work out what a monster looks like if you if it's a new monster, of course. No. Yeah, they're, they're never really that well described in the audio side. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's kind of goes back to what I was saying before about the spooky voice in the mist. And like, since I knew there was a Cyberman coming, they've set the ground for all this kind of tiny wimy voice of something trying to kill you. It's like they're setting this the scene for something completely different than a Cyberman. And then so like, I'm almost waiting there in anticipation, going, "How are you gonna?" How is the Cyberman going to pop into this? How is this very spooky ghost story going to evolve into a cyber story? And I wasn't disappointed, I've got to say. I thought I was going to be disappointed, but I wasn't.
0: I, I mean, I suppose if you didn't know what was coming, the theory could be that the Bury Man in some way, shape or form is going to be the baddie, or there's going to be something more directly related to that.
1: Well, I thought it was going to be linked to the, all the people who died on the bridge. And some, there was obviously going to be a link to that. And the, you know the ghosts were linked to that. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be a ghost story story as such, but Cyberman was a nice twist, bit of a Tomb of the Cybermen uh, storage unit in the form of a fourth road bridge. Yeah, yeah. uh, whatever, so... And they had a Cyberman coming out of the water, like they've had a Dalek coming out of the water, and Dalek invasion of Earth twenty fifty, or the, the Dark Invasion of Earth TV story, I guess. I mean
0: a Cyberman coming out of the water nowadays wouldn't feel so bad, but you can just see it. There's Mondasian coming out and then having to wring its face thing out. It's
2: all yeah. where- <laughs> It'll just turn a fan on in the middle and just, you just see like a walking <laughs> machine, just rinsing itself out.
3: I wondered if there was. <clears throat> it might be a bit of a stretch, but a kind of alignment or a tie back. With the the memories on the bridge to the the memories in the first part, where they, the 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 idea of the fun for farewell places that they've collected these memories and they are but they're they're stored somehow, and that's why I wondered whether it was going to tie in some way to that, and, and then it didn't. It so, does. It does feel so similar. I'm not sure it's, it's it a, an accident.
1: The link between the stories, though, I guess is. <laughs> Than
2: just- I think that's a good thing because it keeps you guessing, keeps you in, it keeps you engaged with where you think it's going to go. Because you always got that almost a Doctor Who formula in your head, some for most, people. Yeah. or, or if just an all media. You think you know what's going to go, so that you see to go hard left some other way. Like, oh, okay, cool, I enjoyed this. Or he goes like hard right and he just goes off off the off the cliff as the brig almost did.
0: Saved again. No, I thought I thought that yeah, there was so much to enjoy
2: in this. Uh, obviously, lovely to see the brigadier back. I was when I start when he started when the brig turned up again. The foreshadowing of knowing a character's end it stayed with me quite a lot. Like that scene from Matt Smith's episode, the end of closing time, where he goes to he's like, "Oh, I've had enough of this before I die." I'm going to go see the brig one last time. And he phones up the hospital to say that Alistair's passed away. And the heart, the true genuine heartache you can see on the character's face. And Matt Smith did a great job in that little scene. But that's, that one scene stayed with me through the entire listening of this audio. Cause by the end of this one, I, again, obviously you guys will know a bit more than me, but now for me, this was the last time the doctor saw the brig until Matt, uh, the 11th like, right, I'm going to go have an adventure with the brigadier. And then phones up so that he's, he's passed away. And I think the ghost of Nicholas Courtney was very much a present in this and was and wonderfully so because John Colshaw did such a good job. Yeah, it was a lovely, lovely episode and just had to hear him there. And again, he's Silver Fox. He's met, He's been referred to as a few times in this. And yeah, it's this really nice, lovely piece. Yeah, I don't
1: know. I don't think they appeared in... Did he, he no, he's never, he never, he's never appeared, never appeared, appeared
0: other than in I was going to say, he did yeah, appear just, in Sarah Jane and there was yeah. plans for him to appear in knew Who, but he, he was too ill, sadly. I, d- I always thought that there was one mistake Moffat made, and Russell T to a degree made, and it was not having uh, Nick Courtney in while he was well enough to do it, because mm. just, he was so legendary. He was such an important part of that part, of, you know, the doctors. The doctors yeah, yeah. it would have been lovely to see him. I love the fact that for a long time, Big Finish wouldn't recast any roles of anyone they'd worked with. The rule was they wouldn't mind doing it if it was someone that they had never worked with. But they wouldn't do it for anyone they worked with. And they did do it with the with the Brigadier after, I think they waited 10 years, I think it was after he died, before they did it. And it was only really because Culshaw was a a huge fan. So you kind of knew he was going to try and do the best job. And also because it's John Culshaw. and John Culshaw is sort of well-known as being one of the best sort of impressionists Minutes. and impersonators. But it does feel like he really plays the character as well as just impersonating him.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was just so much the Brigadier. I never gave it a second thought, though, until I thought, oh, quickie, this isn't the Brigadier. Obviously, this isn't the, 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 because it can't be. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he was good in the, the Annihilators as well.
2: Yes, well, I was going to take one last point of like some of the some of the lines that were used at the towards the end of it mm-hmm. um, echoes back to Matt's mystery generation. He says we're multiple people all through our lives, and he re- references that in regards to the break I think there's a lot of little nice nods to certain lines i noticed that it's just either they were there intentionally or not i think it's just nice to know that i can associate with certain little lines like that i think it's nice way to tie the whole room together
3: it's summing up
0: yeah it was an affectionate piece it was very much a tribute and it, i think it was designed to kind of play a bit like that the whole set was kind of designed to
2: sort of play with your emotions a little i think which is, it's fine. You need that sometimes. Can't be all just gallivanting through space and time, swatting monsters and having a good old time. Sometimes you got to deal with some reality, man.
0: So did it, uh, did it encourage, will it encourage you to listen to more Christopher Eccleston?
2: Definitely. 100%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Happy
0: to- So I think on the whole, this one was was successful. I think everybody liked it. It was
2: much to like. Yep. Positively
3: received. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yes. So- it would be, if a, I if knew a who, fan came to me and said that oh who's your fa- was your doctor and they said Chris Eccleston tr- switch them straight onto this and you will not go far wrong
0: well, I think given, given that the last few podcasts I've all I've sort of sprung on you questions about the thing I'm going to say favourite Chris Eccleston episode Empty Child oh. Doctor Dances
3: Empty yeah I think I know I would go with Chris with both those for one favourite so probably the Doctor Dances that's the Everybody Lives one isn't it
2: Yeah, yeah that was another thing I was going to say earlier that was because when, in in this episode, the, the Doctor tries to... The, the, the big climax where they the gets all the souls back and he almost, for word for word, says, like, oh, give me a day like today. Give me that, that scene at the end of that episode. He almost does that mm-hmm. again in this one, which, again, is I think, a great callback to fans of the show, fans of his tenure as a Doctor. Short-lived, but perf- like, very well-crafted, very well put together. If you're going to do a one-and-done, yeah, that's the series you want. Sorry, I just want to jump that in there. Just, thanks, Joe.
1: Probably his first episode. Yeah, I think Rose... Part back. I mean, the special effects let it down towards the end with a big splodge of nothing in the bottom of the pit of the, whatever building it was by the Thames. But other than that, it's because it, it, he wasn't even in it for the first, I don't know, was it five minutes, maybe, maybe even more than that. It was all Rose and the shop and everything. I thought they did really well with that, only just appearing and grabbing her and, racing away
0: it was such a difficult thing to revitalize and recreate doctor who which had this reputation and had this thing and i don't know i really enjoy all the doctors that came after but i can't see any of them even david tennant just running with it in that way giving it that kind of gravitas making it seem like it was a sensible and serious thing no matter how ridiculous it
2: went Mm. i think it's it's down to russell t davis's scripts that when he's talking about the, the turn of the earth and feeling it was just like that whole scene from start to finish from why is he sounding like from the north where plan's got to north? Go well, from like jovial questioning of who this character is you almost get the like entire sum up of the concept of the show in that five minute exchange and you also set the tone for the next well it's what it's been the next what 20 years yeah so, 18, 18 so. years yeah. yeah i mean 18 years sorry so He's such a like Chris Eccleston as a person, as an actor, has such done has has done such a phenomenal pivotal thing of setting up everything else that we've enjoyed up until now. And I don't think he'll ever get as much credit for it as someone would say, Oh, David Tennant, this, David Tennant, that I'm not saying anything that but he has done phenomenal stuff for the show, so is Matt Smith, so is Peter Capaldi, but it all comes down to Chris Eccleston and Russell T. Davis putting taking a chance with something brilliant. Wow.
0: I mean, I think I think yeah. if you're talking about New Who, you've got to say that you needed someone who could convey the horrors of the Time War and still be the Doctor, and that's not an easy yeah. thing to do. And I'm not sure you could have landed that on David Tennant when he first came in. I think he took what had been given to him by Chris Eccleston and ran with it. There was, I, see, I think, yeah, no, I think that it was it was a, such a strong. He's such a good actor. He's probably the best actor of New Who, except maybe Peter Capaldi i enjoy said, lots
2: of the others, but they are actors. Yeah, I think that's, that's what the show really has kind of brought forward, like the like the quality. Obviously, and this is not to say anything about the quality of the other actors in Old Who. It is it up the game, up the quality, the standards set by everyone else before them. That okay, we're entering the next gear now. You have to. I think also as well, it harkens to the idea that the actor brings themselves to the role in a way, and so. Chris Eccleston really brought this kind of working class acting background and everything he's done in his life to to this character and, brought, and made it grounded in this bonkers sci-fi world where you've got a 4 by 4 that has the entire universe inside it. He can actually make you believe it and go for a poke of chips afterwards.
0: Yeah, I think there's some undoubtedly great acting in the, those kind of things. I think there was act, there's been great acting all the way through. One of the things that always amazes me when I go back and watch some of the sort of classic Doctor Who's is every so often you'll get a guest star who's just so incredibly good and you think, you know, what were they doing slumming it on Doctor Who? And in a lot of cases it was their kids wanted them to do it or, you know, know, being a great actor doesn't always pay the bills. And so it's always, they've always managed to do that. But I think in terms of doctors, your best acting doctors, I mean, they've all been really good because they've all acted a really interesting take on the doctor. The weakest, to my mind, is probably Peter Davison, but that's partially because he's not my favorite doctor. And even then there's nothing wrong with most of his stuff, just some of it. I think you gotta say Eccleston, as I say, and maybe Capaldi just a little bit ahead of us.
2: I think acting wise I think David Tennant did some of his better work after Doctor Who and certain things. Yeah, I
0: mean I'm not sure he's ever been as good as a Crowley in Good
2: Omens or well saying that actually I'm gonna actually on that point, for Jessica Jones and Crowley, so much of it has to be thanked for his time on doctor who because i think without it's it's it's, it's like watching those two characters like completely different characters in terms of everything that they're going on about there's just so much of the 10th doctor and almost everything he does when he's when he's when he has the 10th doctor that his english accent on i always just think even just doing that swagger he has crowley's like just put a big coat on him and he'd be swaggering his the 10th
0: have you watched the new good omens yet yeah. So, do you have you realised then that David Tennant is canon in Good Omens because Doctor Who is canon in Good Omens?
2: Yeah, because isn't there on the back on the back end of a bus there's the a signage for Doctor Who or something? No,
0: it's one of the guys asks for a Doctor Who annual.
2: <laughs> yes, of course. That well, that yeah, and, straight up. And, yeah. and
0: they show it, and it's like a Doctor Who annual that never existed, <laughs> and it's like a special proof of it that he can offer. And that just means that if Doctor Who exists in that universe, David Tennant exists in that universe. It just shows you that he has taken his his look, David Tennant. But cool, I think that's probably about it. So the next thing now is the next episode we're going to do. And Chris, this is yours. uh,
2: So as you alluded to earlier, Stuart, uh, Peter Davidson may not be your favourite, but we're going to jump straight into the fifth Doctor, the Church and the Crown. How exciting. I'm actually looking forward to this one because it sounds really cool. It sounds fascinating. and I like this one. It's a good long one as well. Like one hour, 43 minutes. So yeah, mm-hmm. this I mean, will be the first time coming back to Peter Davidson since since Spare Prats Coming out to her first anniversary. A in it. No, oh. it is actually. It's Perry.
1: Perry. Perry? Mm-hmm. Oh, right. It's one of these weird ones where they do different companions, is it? It's, no, it's done...
0: set because there was one episode with Perry before he, he regenerated, so it's set between them. Oh, of course there was, yeah. There's actually two companions in this. So there's Perry and there's Aramem, And Eremim, who I will explain more about next week, is an Egyptian pharaoh. Because why not? Who happens to Don't be traveling you. with uh, the fifth doctor now.
1: Interesting, because uh, they didn't manage to write very well for somebody from the time of the Aztecs. So they limited knowledge of everything.
0: I mean, kind of it's going to be honest. She doesn't either. feel much like she's from Egypt when you get... She's very good and she's. Li- I-, I like her, but... At no point do you think, well, she's blatantly
2: Egyptian. Yeah, that doesn't happen. So. Well, see that now you say that, I'm expecting to hear some some South London, eh? Not quite. Egypt, it? She's very, she's very RP, as all good Doctor Who companions are,
1: oh,
0: certainly of the '80s. But yeah, that'll be interesting to listen to. So here's the trailer:
1: Doctor Who, the Church and the Crown. <laughs>
3: Is this really another time?
1: Yes, and place. Paris, 1626 to be exact. Good few centuries after your time.
3: For the church and the crown!
1: Wishler had a vision for uniting the cultural diversity. Wischler?
2: Wasn't he the bad guy?
1: No, 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 Quite the opposite. Alexander Dumas has a lot to answer for. Run me
2: through Del Mar, and fifty will the four to take my place. Fifty of the Cardinal's guards to one king's musketeer. <laughs> Hardly a challenge, Morin.
0: How many
1: more reports must I read of skirmishes on the streets? Twelve in the last week alone. What should I care if a few hotheads are getting carried away? Our men are tearing each other to shreds! such beauty
3: are you talking to me could she have gone back to your TARDIS
2: oh I doubt it sensible just isn't in Perry's vocabulary
3: I don't know there she is take her hey get your hands off me
2: why would anybody take Perry doctor doctor
1: Would it help if I said I have to gain an audience with the king on a matter of national security that may even threaten the life of Queen Anne? (laughs) Then I'd say that you are more of a fool than you look. The king is preparing for the state ball this evening and will see no one, especially a peasant like you. My ball will bring together every French aristocrat in one room. Tonight, we shall see France unified in my name.
3: I am the Princess Eremem of Karnak. May I present the doctor, my royal... Vizier and chief advisor.
1: Dressed like that? I thought he was your jester. I work for a higher purpose, as well you know. No, Cardinal! You work for me! Do not forget that! For the unity between the Church and the Crown to survive this night, the madness must stop! Now, sir, prepare to face the sword of Patrice Delmar. I'm guard! Oh, dear...
0: Well, thank you, Chris. And I think that's it for tonight. So thank you, everybody. And we will be back soon. So see you later. Goodbye, Bye. everybody.
1: Well, no water, by the way. See,
0: now that's what proper Scotsman sounds like. <laughs>